Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. My guest is one of the directors of The Marvelous Elephant Man, the musical. It's on as part of Sydney Fringe at the Spiegel Tent from the 1st of September. The story of The Elephant Man has been told in many books and in the famous David Lynch film starring John Hurt and Anthony Hopkins. So I'm curious to find out how it works as a musical. As I said, the co-director, one of the directors is joining me from this production, Christopher Mitchell. He's an accomplished filmmaker of award-winning short films and featurettes, screened at international festivals, he's won multiple Melbourne Fringe Awards, and he joins me to talk about this very curious production. Thank you, Regina. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for coming on. So, first of all, let's start with the story. This is based on a true story. Do you want to, like, set the scene for us? Yeah, absolutely. It's Look, it's based on the life of Joseph Merrick, who um, has, as you mentioned, been brought to popular culture primarily from David Lynch's film, but prior to that in Bernard Pomerantz's Broadway play, which was uh, made famous by David Bowie. It's probably a very relevant story for our times because it's about acceptance and being an outsider and also finding a, finding a place in the world. And um, we took some, we've taken some fairly creative liberties in the retelling of this story. It's, in some respects, it's almost like a adult Disneyfication of the story of the Elephant Man. And John Merrick, in his Joseph Merrick, who, who was uh, re- renamed John Merrick in. in Pomerantz's play and in Lynch's film he was a very interesting character and you know one of his real joys towards the end of his life once he found permanent housing um, in in the hospital in London was to go to the theatre and he particularly really loved pantomime and we feel in some respects we've kind of given him a different ending to his story something that he would have really appreciated and it's and it's very magical it's kind of a dark gothic fairy tale um but it still speaks to the core values and challenges that he faced which is overcoming adversity at a time where people were still very bigoted and still very judgmental and uh and it's also a lot of fun with a lot of dick jokes as well so yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it is um so talking about that kind of the element of the sideshow in the olden days was about the spectacle of the the difference of people right absolutely um you know it was a different time and if you think about that intersection of the industrial revolution and science and technology but people were still very much hung up on superstition and urban legends and and all those elements and you know i think it was what Around the same time that Joseph Merrick was around, they really started to phase this out of spectacle life. And the sideshows and the freak shows were started to become banned for, you know, really good reasons. And this is very much at the apex of that time. And it, it's, it really speaks to a, a cultural change, um, which I think had a lot to do with people's accessibility to education and information. 
you know, what's remarkable about this story and a lot of people don't know is that Joseph Merrick, the elephant man, was in many respects the very first case of crowdfunding where when he was taken in to the hospital, they didn't know what to do with him and the hospital couldn't afford to put him up. But, you know, he couldn't work in one of the labor houses because it was pretty much a death sentence given his health. And, you know, another a lot of hospitals just didn't want him in there because of his appearance. And what happened is that one of the administrators of the hospital issued a an article in one of the major newspapers saying, look, you know, this is a situation and this is this man's life. And, you know, can we get some support to look after him? And fortunately for Joseph Merrick, a lot of really famous people and influential people came together and basically funded his, his stay. Wow. That is phenomenal. What a... I mean, it's such an interesting story. But also, so how does it go from this time to now? Like, who are the characters in this production? I know you've got a ringmaster, for example. Yeah, we've got, look, we've taken some creative liberties. In his real biography, Dr. Frederick Treves was, I guess, championed for really facilitating his his care and, and helping him integrate with society. And in some respects, we've done a bit of a disjustice and we've made Dr. Frederick Treves a villain in our story. And um, ah. he's sort of the adversary. He's betrothed to Nurse Hope, who is one of the few people in the hospital that show kindness to, to John uh, Merrick. Subsequently, she sees in him humanity that is really not portrayed by any of the other characters and can see past his, you know, his, his the, the visual deformities and see a really, you know, wonderful, charismatic, beautiful, educated man inside. And she falls for him. And uh, without giving too many spoils away, the uh, the rest sort of writes itself and there's a bit of a showdown and there's a metamorphosis for John in terms of him really feeling okay in his own skin and, and re- recognizing the man he's become. And he's guided by the ringmaster in our story, which in sort of so many many people might say was exploiting and taking advantage of, of the, the real Joseph Merrick. And there's, there's counter arguments to say that in some respects they were actual legitimate business partners and he gave him a lot of opportunities he wouldn't have otherwise had. But for dramatic purposes and comedic purposes, the ringmaster is definitely uh, one of the heroes of our story. And he kind of acts as, I guess, Pinocchio's blue fairy. And he guides Joseph along his, his journey of self-discovery. Mm. And, um, you know, and they're played by amazing performers. Doc, Dr. Frederick Trees is, is played by Kanan Breen, who's just coming off Sweeney Todd at the moment. He's an Opera Australia darling. He's uh, La Bohème and, you know, any production where you could have a villain or even he played Willy Wonka and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory a few years ago. So he's, he's just an epic force of, of operatic power and comedic timing. He's joined by a young starlet uh, by the name of Annalise Hall, who's uh, actually just taken lead in the in the Crossroads production of Grease that's, that's uh, premiering later this year in Melbourne. Uh, again, an amazing voice, a real sweetheart, and we were very fortunate enough to have her join the cast when we when we first put this show up earlier this year. The lead role of the Elephant Man is played by Ben Clark, who's one of the Ten tenors. He's an amazing vocalist. He was uh, just came off Phantom of the Opera uh, when we were lucky enough to secure him for the show earlier this year. And the part of the ringmaster is played by uh, Mark Lucchesi, who's the front man for a band called Vaudeville Smash, who've got a massive, massive following both domestically and internationally. And he's also one of the three writers. And 
he really brings that energy of a front man to the show. And, you know, especially being in a circus and in a Spiegel tent, we've got the ability to really be quite immersive and interactive with the audience. And, you know, from the moment go, it's a very lively show. Mm. So what is that sort of style of music that they're singing and how does the music work in the storytelling? Is it telling the story along the way through the lyrics or, you know, and yeah, and the kind of, you know, is it that kind of vaudeville sideshows, like musical tone? It, 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 it crosses a lot of genres. It starts off in a more traditional, traditional Gilbert and Sullivan style um, sound, and then it kind of crosses into vaudeville. By the end of it, there's some really epic rock ballads when the Elephant Man really finds himself. Ah. And that speaks, in many respects, to Mark's, I guess the genres of music that he performs, but also the two co-writers and, and composers, uh, Sarah and Jay and Andy Gopin, uh, who both, you know, studied internationally, performed with major artists. And for them, it was really a matter of telling a story that it isn't just traditional Gilbert and Sutherland, but it isn't, it isn't, you know, uh, contemporary either. And, and that sort of evolution in terms of how the music goes on a on a journey as well really speaks to john merrick's evolution as well as a character so there's, in, there's something in it for everybody and you know we've we've had people come back to the show we did a, a run at adelaide fringe festival earlier yeah. this year where we had people returning three to four times with more and more friends and you know bringing their dad along and their grandpa going look my dad would <laughs> never like musical theater but this is totally his vibe um and there really is something in there for everybody yeah it it just just looks beautiful so and and the start like five star reviews as i said um from the adelaide show do you know much about because you mentioned the writers in the in the production much about the idea behind it or the reason for this idea yeah look it was originally sort of it came about almost as the guys were challenging one another to write some songs about fairly absurd you know, backdrops and media and storytelling. It's a kind of, I guess you can liken it to Mary Shelley when her and um, Shelley and the other writers wrote Frankenstein. And these guys were kind of coming up with wacky stories based on fairly absurd plots for a musical. And this one really stuck. And over years, they, they started composing new songs and the songs are breathtaking. I mean, they, they feel like Disney classics or, you know, Sondheim classics. It's really just fun stuff. Over COVID, and I guess, you know, one of the very few positives of that of that excursion was, you know, that they guys had time to themselves. Both Jay and Mark are teachers as well. There was a lot of downtime for everyone in the entertainment industry, and they really knuckled down on writing the story and giving it form. I don't think anyone really ha- ever expected it to take the life that it did, but I-, I saw it just after COVID. It went up in a very small venue in Melbourne called the Jazz Lab. And I was absolutely moved and blown away. There was a hundred odd people in there, but people were still weeping and crying at the same time. And, you know, there's some really strong emotional arcs and the humor is very, very edgy, but also very heartwarming. And the moment I saw it, I said to the guys, and I'd, I'd shot a few music videos for, for Mark for his band, Waterville Smash. And I was like, look, I have to be involved in this. Uh, and next thing I know, it's been a year since then. And, the show has gone from strength to strength. So what are the challenges for you in bringing this into the Spiegel tent in the, is it in the round? 
Yeah, it is in the round, and it's interesting. I, I was partners in a venue in Melbourne for a number of years called Red Benny's, and that was a cabaret circus vaudeville venue, sort of, you know, around 2010 to 2015. So I, I had a lot of experience on a personal level navigating that space and had produced and directed some fairly wacky fringe shows within the venue, but I hadn't ever considered taking on something of, of this scale. There's 11 actors, five musicians. The full show is a, it's two one-hour acts. And that was really the benefit of having Guy Masterson come on board as co-director. Guy is a stalwart of the international fringe scene. That being said, he's also an amazing director of, of stage across the board. He's just returning for, to Australia. He's based in, in the UK, but he's got a show called The Shark is Broken, which is sort of a behind the scenes of the making of Jaws, but premiered a month ago uh, on the uh, on in Broadway. It's doing exceptionally well. And we're having Guy with me help me really navigate directing in the round. You know, to go from having not really done anything fully born before to directing in the round is a very big leap. But it, we made it work, and we're kind of unorthodox in everything we do. And you can feel that on the stage it's not a traditional show in any sense uh, in terms of the energy and the story is a little left of center but it hangs together beautifully and you know i don't really know any different <laughs> to be honest uh, we did a we did a traditional stage at chapel off chapel in melbourne which was really exciting but because of the victorian era vibe the freak show vibe the carnival vibe that all of this exists in that universe it kind of makes more sense right now for us to be in the round in a Spiegel tent than any venue. For you as a director, like, it sounds like you're naturally attracted to things that are uh, a little bit authentic. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, what you're bringing into it from your experience or your interest? Absolutely. I mean, you know, humour often comes from, it's a device to, to deal with darkness and tragedy and... um and I do like to have a laugh and not take things too seriously. So I think that really is why the show has spoken to me so much. And to be able to find levity in something which is a fairly serious subject and also to, to be able to empower someone who should be by, you know, all conditions disempowered and, and shunned is a really exciting prospect. And Everything I've ever done has had a, a, an edge of darkness to it and an edge of the outsider. And those are the most interesting stories, really. You know, so that's, I think that's you know, what's, what attracted me to the story. And I think a lot of people take that away from it. It's about empowering people who don't, wouldn't otherwise have a voice, but doing it in a way that doesn't make the audience feel like crap. You know, we want the audience to feel, walk out laughing and feeling um feeling better about the experience and that's that's you know that's a crime ticket i think yeah and i look forward to seeing that different ending to the the story in a different kind of take i mean i think you said the the ringmaster is now kind of you're taking advantage of someone but at the same time there is this empowerment to be given a place in the world or, or in a way yeah, yeah i think way. so I, I, absolutely and you can see that in terms of how attitudes have changed towards the taboo and attitudes have changed towards you know you could say sex workers or you know performers lgbt 
community, all that kind of stuff. It, you know, those attitudes have really changed where it's those, what was once on the fringe is, is very much celebrated. Um, and for us, uh, you know, that's, that's an important thing to speak to. And I think the difference between when this was set versus now is that there, there really is that, that celebration of the different. And I think it's very relevant and very, very current. Chris Mitchell, thank you so much. I'll let you get back into the Spiegel tent. <laughs> Thanks Fantastic. For Thanks, Regina. We'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Chris Mitchell there, the marvellous Elephant Man, the musical, as part of Sydney Friend, on from the 1st of September. I am so curious to see this. <laughs>